Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Good morning. Yeah, I like that. God likes to shoot us straight. Some of those verses you see, you're like, I'll never see this one cross-stitched on a pillow. <laughs> I'm not going to put this on a refrigerator magnet. But it, man, God has a way of uh, getting our attention sometimes. So we're going to continue today with our uh, series about the prosperous soul. And uh, I'm just so excited about this series. And uh, we may go the rest of the year in this series. It's just so good. And I believe it's what God's speaking in this season and what he's teaching us. And uh, so we can rise up into everything that he has us uh, rising up into. Um, He wants to bless you in a way that you may not feel worthy to receive. So he wants to do things in your life that you may not feel like uh, you're ready to step into it. And he wants to help our minds change so that we can actually step into the blessings that he has for us. Amen. And so this is this is good stuff. I'm just enjoying soaking on this. And uh, so this is part two of the prosperous soul. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Wash us with the water of the word today. Holy Spirit, just wash over us today. Wash us with the water of the word. That we're just restored in our minds. That we're just restored in our hearts. That hopelessness is, is dissipating and hope is coming in. We know that you're the God of hope. So wash over us with your hope today. Wash over us with your love, with your goodness, with your kindness, with your joy, Holy Spirit. We partner with your thoughts for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the key verse for this series is uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. And it says this, Beloved, I pray that in all respects... He may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper, or beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. So learning to live out of a prosperous soul starts with that very first word in that verse, beloved, beloved, knowing how loved we are by the Father. And I talked about this last week, but knowing that we are the bride of Christ, And God doesn't want his bride, Jesus doesn't want his bride beat up, toe up, broke, anxious, stressed out. Amen? Jesus wants us to, uh, as his bride, to reflect himself, to reflect all of his glory, to reflect his goodness, to reflect who he is. Amen? A wife is like the crown of her husband. She reflects who the, who the husband is. And Jesus wants us to be a reflection, a beautiful reflection of him as the bride of Christ. We are his beloved, and he wants only good things for us. He says, I pray that you'll prosper in all respects, all respects, and be in good health. So any area of our life where we don't believe that, where we're struggling to prosper, or we're struggling to feel like God wants to prosper us, there's areas that God wants to come in and bring light to and bring truth into areas that we've believed lies in. Amen? Because he's meant for us to be the radiance of Jesus Christ himself as his bride. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to be in good health, 
just as our soul prospers. So as our soul is beginning to prosper, our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And as we're prospering in those areas, prospering in our thinking, prospering in our will, prospering in our emotions, everything else in our life begins to look prosperous. I love it. The verse doesn't say, I pray that you'll prosper in all respects just as you finally start to live right. Right? It doesn't say that, right? I'm going to pray that you're prospering in all respects when you finally get it and you stop your stinking sinning. Does it say that? No, it says, I pray that you'll prosper in all respects just as your soul prospers. That's the key. What's happening in your mind and in your emotions and your will when when we're renewed there and when those things are prospering, everything else in our life will begin to prosper. Amen? So the key to unlocking the life that God has for you is learning to live out of a prosperous soul. Learning to live out of a prosperous soul. It has to do with our mind, our will, and our emotions. So prospering in our mind. God wants us to have prosperity thinking. He wants us to have prosperity thinking. God, the way he thinks is prosperity thinking. And he wants us to have his mind. Romans or 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. Amen? And Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the process of releasing the way that we think and the way that the world thinks and taking on the way God thinks. Seeing things through his eyes. Seeing our situations and putting it in the eyes of Christ and saying, Jesus, how do you see this situation? Amen? We are in Christ. Amen? So if we're in Christ, our situations are in Christ. But now we need to see them in the eyes of Christ. Amen? He wants us to have prosperity thinking. He wants us to see situations like he does. He wants us to see how we manage our life and how we manage our finances and how we manage our relationships the way that he sees those things. He wants us to prosper in our will. He wants us to have will power. I have a new... just. Take on that word, willpower. He wants us to be powerful in our will. That is to live intentionally out of a will that is aligned with his. Our will is so powerful because we can do things in our will regardless of what we think or feel about it. Amen? I'll give a second to let that catch up. We can do things out of our will regardless of how we feel about it or how we think about it. So we can praise when we don't feel like praising. Like, my emotions aren't there. But God, I'm going to praise you anyway. Amen. We see David in the Psalms. He's always directing his soul. He's like, praise the Lord, my soul. All that is within me. Bless your holy name. Amen. He's directing himself. And a lot of it has to do with our will. We can direct things in our will without our emotions being there. And as we're directing our will, our emotions and our mind catch up. God wants our emotions to be prosperous. He wants us to prosper in our emotions. He doesn't want us to be anxious and stressed and, and depressed and going from one worry to, the other, to another worry. But he wants us to be prosperous in our emotions. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. And Hebrews this week has just been rocking me. Hebrews 3 and, and uh, 4. But Hebrews 3... And I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. I think we have the Passion Translation to put up on the screens. 
It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, you are now made holy. How many understand you are holy right now? If you're in Christ, you have been made holy. So let that wash over you. You have now made holy. And each of you is invited into the feast of your heavenly calling. Isn't that good? You've been invited into a feast of your heavenly calling. And there's no greater joy in life. There's no greater pleasure in life. You're not going to find a greater thrill in life than finding that heavenly calling that God has for you. You've been invited by the Father into the feast of your heavenly calling. He says it's a feast. What's a feast? It's a celebration. It's a celebration into your heavenly calling. He's welcoming us in. You've been invited into the feast of your heavenly calling. So fasten your thoughts fully on Jesus, who, who we embrace as our apostle and king priest. You were invited to the feast of your heavenly calling. It's a celebration in which you are invited to come and to partake. God is inviting you to come and partake of him. Partake in his presence. Partake in the mind of Christ. Partake in his joy. So in what areas are we not partaking in his feast? He's saying, come, I'm inviting you into the feast of your heavenly calling. In what areas are we resisting? Are we not partaking in his feast? And it's not about what you're doing wrong. It's about what you are believing wrong. It's not about what you're doing wrong. It's about what you're believing wrong. Stop asking, what am I doing wrong? God, what am I doing wrong? Stop asking God that. Start asking God, God, what am I believing wrong? What am I believing wrong? Because your actions are a result of what you believe. Your life is going to be a result of what you really believe, and your actions are going to be a result of what you really believe about God, what you really believe about yourself, what you really believe about others, and what you believe about your circumstances. What you believe about those areas in life, your actions are going to reflect. So you can tell what someone believes, and this is not a point to judge someone, but this you can tell what someone believes out of their actions. It, it exposes and shows you, and, and out of our own actions, we can tell what we believe. So our actions are a result of what we truly believe in our heart. So we can begin to ask God, stop asking God, what am I doing wrong? But ask God, what am I believing wrong? We're not going after the actions. Because I can change my action, right? I can say, I don't like this thing I'm doing. I want to change that. So I'm going to try to stop doing it. But it's always short-lived because eventually I'm going to live out of what I believe. It's always short-lived when I'm going after the action. Because eventually I'm just going to go back to living out of what I believe. So, but if I go after the belief, my action will come along with it. Amen? So we're going after beliefs. Again, he didn't say, I want you to prosper and be in good health just as you're getting your act, act together, right? <laughs> he says, I want you to prosper and be in good health just as your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions prosper. Amen? So we're going after beliefs. We're going after what's happening in the soul. If we change our behavior without changing the belief behind the behavior, it's not going to last long. Your actions are always going to follow your beliefs. Everything we do in life, I'm just recapping this, 
stems out of those four things, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, and what we believe about our circumstances. So I actually want to speak to you about rest today. Rest. Fine. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, let's all do that together. Ah, rest. I want to speak to you about rest. And it has everything to do with the prosperous soul. And this is what the God, God's been really showing me this week is until we really start to live out of a prosperous soul, we're never truly at rest. We're never truly at rest because rest isn't just inaction. Rest isn't just not working. Rest is the presence of peace. So, we're, you know, we have, we have days, hopefully, that we take off, but we can be not at rest on a day that we're not working because we're not at peace. So I want to talk to you about truly entering into his rest until we learn to live out of a prosperous soul, we never fully enter into his rest. So Hebrews chapter 3, I read that first verse, said, So, dear brothers and sisters, you are now made holy, and each of you is invited into the heavenly or to the feast of your heavenly calling. So then he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to read verse 16 through 19 now. In the verse, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Moses, and he's talking about Egypt. So let's pick it up from verse 16. He says, The same people who were delivered from bondage and brought out of Egypt by Moses were the ones who heard and still rebelled. They grieved God for 40 years by sinning in their unbelief. What caused the sin? Unbelief. What was the problem? Unbelief. Go back to verse 16. It says, the same people who were delivered, they saw God's deliverance. Delivered from bondage. They were taken out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea open up. They saw the cloud that led them by night, the fire of God. They were the ones who heard, who saw the miracles, and they still rebelled. What caused the rebellion? Unbelief. Unbelief was the problem. He's not talking about their actions. He's talking about the unbelief. And they dropped dead, end of 17, until they dropped dead in the desert. I live in Arizona. That hits home with me. I don't want to drop dead in the desert. Amen? So unbelief was the problem. So verse 18, so God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. Verse 19, it is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. Unbelief was the problem. Not believing truth. Amen? This was the problem. Not believing what God said about them. Not believing what God was telling them. The problem was unbelief. And because of their unbelief, because they didn't believe what God was saying, they couldn't enter into their inheritance. Unbelief will keep you from entering into the feast of your heavenly calling that God has prepared for you. So we're not going after action, we're going after beliefs. What do we believe? What do we really believe? Because God's trying to get us to believe and to think His way. 
And if we're resisting what he's saying to us, we're resisting what he's, he's telling us in his word, and we're in unbelief, we can't enter into that heavenly feast of our calling that he's welcoming us into. He's like, I'm welcoming you into this place. It's the most amazing life that you could ever discover on earth, but you have to believe some new things and let go of some unbelief. He's welcoming us into that place. Hebrews chapter 4, so this is the very next verse after the one we just read. It says, now God, verse 1, now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting and confident faith. God wants us to rest, and how do we do it? In faith. He's calling us to enter into his realm of resting and confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. God wants us to experience his rest. And it says we must be careful, extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. Verse 2, for we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they did not join their faith with the word. God is calling us to take our faith and put it with his word. Join the, our faith with his word. And that's how we experience the realm of his confident rest. They did not join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. What activates the promise? Faith. Belief. And it's not just about our faith. Like, I, I believe all of us here have faith in Christ, and, and we're all going to heaven, and that's awesome. We can celebrate that. But now it's like the next step in our journey with God is to believe what he's saying, to believe what he said, to believe his word and to identify areas that have been lies, have been dark places that we believed lies instead of what he says. And when we begin to believe and to think like him and we're renewed in our mind and we begin to have a prosperous soul in our thinking and our mind and our will and our emotions, we begin to enter into that inheritance of our heavenly calling, that feast of our heavenly calling, and we enter into rest. We enter into rest. God wants us to enter into the feast. He wants us to enter into his rest. But rest isn't just the absence of labor, it's the presence of peace. And peace comes from faith, confident belief in him and what he's spoken over us. How do we enter into true rest? We join our faith with the word of God. We join our faith with the word of God. You know, I talked last week about our church in 2016 and, and uh, how, it, how it looked like we just signed a, a three-year lease and our church went down to about one-third of what it was and it looked bad. And so my wife and I, we just had to go back to like, well, what, what do we truly believe? Is this God or is it not? And we just really knew that, like, okay, the Lord has us here. This was his idea. We're not, you know, we're, we're right in the middle of what he's asked us to do. And then we just started confessing his word. 
We just start confessing, okay, the God, this is what you're doing. We're not going to fall into anxiety, and we're not going to fall into stress. We're going to confess your word. No weapon formed against this church will ever prosper. I don't, how many thousands of times did we confess that in that year? No weapon formed this, against this church will prosper. God, you said you will build your church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Anxieties would come, but you have huge bills. You have no people, and you have, and we'd be like, no weapon formed against this church will prosper. God, you are in this. God, you're building this church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And we could watch our, our anxiety turn into faith. So this is, this is a real key is when anxiety comes, we have power in our will to take that anxious thought and to redirect it into a, a thought of faith. And that's why declarations are so powerful. You can take that anxious thought and say, God, what is your perspective on this? Oh, no weapon formed against this church will prosper. So I'm taking that anxious thought and I'm redirecting it into a statement of faith. God, I'm going to say this out loud, even if, we, even if my heart doesn't believe it. No weapon formed against this church will prosper. God, you have us. And I'm directing my motions by speaking truth and entering it into faith, leaving anxiety and into faith. Now take any situation in your life. Anxiety comes. Immediately you can take that thought captive and say, I'm going to actually speak out loud what God says about this situation. Amen? The enemy wants to bring anxiety, and he brings thoughts into our mind that he wants to for us to grab onto, and it brings anxiety and depression, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in our life because we've actually grabbed onto a lie. So we just kept confessing that all year, and I told you the story at the end of the year. We were $5,000 short. And nobody knew that, by the way. I don't, I don't know if I mentioned that last week. My wife and I knew, and like one other person knew that we were going to finish the year $5,000 short. And this person that gave us the check had no clue. He's December 30th. He's like, here you go, $5,000 check. The Lord told me to give this to you. And so it was God just fulfilling his promise. All year we're declaring it, even though the enemy is sending, bombarding, you know, all this anxiousness. We're declaring, no, we're not going to join with anxiousness and anxiety. We're going to declare God's word. And at the 11th hour, God's like, see, I got you. You know what? After that happened, I looked at my wife and I said, I'll never worry about finances again. I'll never worry about it again. Because God is faithful. Amen? So this whole series is about stepping into faith. Stepping out of those anxious thoughts that come, and they come daily for all of us. And it's, it's not a one-time thing that we do, and then it's, we're done. But we're taking our thoughts captive daily. We're taking our thoughts captive daily, and we're entering into faith daily. We choose every day to take that lie that the enemy's trying to get us to buy and to actually speak the truth of what God says and what his perspective is. When I had a health crisis a few years ago, I would declare sometimes hundreds of times in each day, I am healthy and I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healthy and I'm healed in Jesus' name. I had done every test you can imagine, CT scans and ones with dye, ones without, and MRIs, multiple and multiple uh, ultrasound, all this stuff, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, and the reports weren't good, and it was six months of, six months of this. And I almost look back and I'm like, did God even allow that? Because 
I'm, I'm thinking he may have because it, it was actually a great time for me to amp up my faith and what I really believed. And so I just chose, I was like, God, I'm healthy and I'm healed in Jesus' name. I don't, I don't know what the results of the test are gonna say, but that's actually the truth. The truth is I'm healthy and I'm healed in Jesus' name because your word says that. It says that by your stripes, I have been healed already. So I would declare that anxious thoughts would come. What, what's going on? And I'd have every, I mean, Joy could tell you, it was just the craziest season. It was like I'd go in for a test and it'd be like two, three weeks to get a result. Or, or like, couldn't get a result. And then like three weeks later, you know, well, we're not sure we need you to take another test. Six months of this. Six months of this. And it was just a faith walk. It was just like, okay, God. I'm healed and I'm healthy in Jesus' name. That's the truth. Anxiety would come and I would speak that. I'm healed and I'm healthy and I'm Jesus in Jesus' name. That's what I choose to speak. That's what I choose to believe and I'm not gonna agree and partner with anxiety. And then six months later, they said, you're fine. Sorry. Sorry for putting you through six months of that. If you have a marriage issue, the enemy loves this lie. You're all alone. You gotta figure this one out on your own. God doesn't have you. You're all alone. How can we redirect our minds? How can we redirect that thought into rest? By speaking and believing the truth. God has me. God has me. God's right here with me in my pain. God's right here with me in this issue. He's working this out. I'm going to choose to agree with that thought, and I'm going to choose to say that thought and declare his truth. You know, declarations aren't about like, you know, we've seen in certain circles where they've turned declarations into, God, I declare a Corvette by next Friday. (laughs) That's not what declarations are about. Declarations are about declaring his truth so that my mind actually starts to believe something different. That's what declarations are for. It's directing my thought away from the lie, to believe something new that's actually true about me, about my situation, about my marriage, about my life, about God. It's declaring truth until my emotions and my mind catch up to it. And we can do that with our will. Amen. God has me. God, you're right here with me. You're working this out. God, your word says... The righteous are like the light of dawn. They get brighter and brighter and brighter. I'm getting brighter. My marriage is getting better. Amen? Here's a a really, this one right here, it's worth the price of admission. If you can grab onto this one. Here's one that God's dealing with me on. So again, we're talking about lies that the enemy will bring and try to get us to grab onto or anxiety that he will throw at us, stress, things that he will bombard us with. And we're talking about taking those things and actually turning it into faith and declaring our faith. Amen? So sometimes there's things we say, and I've been catching myself on these, that are contrary to what God's word says. And we don't even realize it. And so God caught me on one this week. And it was such an awesome revelation. So I heard myself saying this this week. I don't have time. How am I going to do that? I don't have time. 
I don't have time to do that. I don't have time. And I just realized that God started showing me. I was like, oh my gosh, how many times have I said that? I don't have time. I don't have the time. How sad of a statement is it when we really think about it? I don't have time. The time is like so precious and I just don't have enough of it. I can't get my stuff done. I can't do the things that God's called me to do. I don't have time. So I caught myself and, I, and the Lord began to speak to me that that's actually a, pro, a poverty mindset in how I viewed my time. I don't have time. It's contrary to God's word. What does God's word say? My God, Philippians 4.19, will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. He's the maker of time. He said, I'll provide all your needs, including my need for time. Psalm 23 says, David said, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not lack for anything, including time. But because of my own confession, I was overwhelmed. I was like, even when I was doing certain things, I'd be stressed because I was thinking about what's not getting done. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm declaring, I don't have time. And it's causing my spirit to not be at rest. So I have a new declaration. God, I have more than enough time to accomplish everything you've asked me to do. God, I have more than enough time to accomplish everything that you've called me to do. Everything that you've asked me to do, I have the time. I have the time to do it. And just in the few days since I've been declaring this, I just feel at rest in the things I'm doing. Because I'm like, instead of being stressed about what's not getting done, I'm like, I am at rest because I have all the time I need to get done. I wasn't even thinking about this, but it just came to me. But last night, it's like usually on Saturday nights, I like to like do my nightly routine and, you know, sit down, read a little bit of the Bible, you know, kind of process my message on Saturday night. And my wife comes to me and she's like, the sink's clogged. And I know I'm like, it's really clogged. It's like the water's like still. I'm like, this isn't like a quick fix. And I'm like, I have time. I have time to take care of this. That's going to be okay. And so I was at rest. I could just go and take the sink apart and drain out all the muck from the kids from the last five years. And, and I was at rest, and I had still had time to do my routine and have time with the Lord. And I was like, oh, that's different. Because I know a week ago, I would have been like, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'll do it tomorrow. But instead, I, I just, because I've changed my declaration, I have the time to do this. I have all the time I need to finish everything that God's called me to do. I could do it and I was at rest. Amen? So powerful. It's actually poverty thinking to declare over your life all the time. I don't have time. Yeah. You know, one of the key lies that the enemy wants to lead us to is this. God is not good. So when I believe this, I don't have time thing, what does it really look like? God, you've asked me to do this and this and this, plus I don't have time equals you're not really that good. What are you doing to me, God? You've asked me to do all this stuff, and I don't have time to do it. Leads me to think, even subconsciously, maybe way in the back of my head, not really that good. 
There's so many lies that the enemy's bombarding you with, but the real lie he wants to get you to is God is not good. God's not really for you. He's not really wanting the best thing for you. And so we can begin to attack these lies with truth. Amen? That's funny, I'm just saying. You could take certain sound bites, like, make things sound really bad, like... I just said, like, God's not for you. Like, God's not, <laughs> like, no, take that sound bite. Facebook, this is what they preach at that church. <laughs> God's not for you. No, God is for you. Amen. Sorry, the random thoughts that go through my head. So God, part of the prosperous soul is he's taking us out of every area in our life where we've had poverty thinking and bringing us into prosperity thinking, how he thinks. Amen? You have the time to do everything that God's called you to do. So you can be at rest with each task, with each thing that you're doing. If we want to experience something different, we're going to have to believe something different. Let me say it again. If we want to experience something different, We're going to have to believe something different. The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. Well, another definition of insanity is to think the same things over and over again, believe the same lies, and expect different results. If we want something different, we're going to have to believe something different. This is about beliefs. It's not about what we're doing wrong. It's about what we're believing wrong. If you have bad actions in your life, the action is just a reaction of a bad belief that needs to be dealt with. It just goes back to what you believe. David said in Psalm 23, Lord, you restore my soul. You restore my soul. That's, again, that's the whole series that we're talking about, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And I remember there was a period in my life where Over a year, I prayed Psalm 23 over my life every day. And I loved that part of the prayer because I'd get to that part and I'd say, God, you restore my soul. What's in my mind that needs to be restored? What's in my will and emotions that needs to be restored? What lies am I believing? And I would just meditate and let him start to speak to me. Well, I'm anxious about this thing. God, what is your perspective? I want you to restore my soul on this. And he just starts to show me his perspective, and it shifts me out of anxiety into faith. God, you restore my soul. Jesus said that he would uh, wash us with the water of the word. And it's like the water of the word, that belief partnering with the word, that faith partnering with the word, and it washes over us, and it begins to melt the lies and bring truth into our heart. Amen? Process. Process with him. You can do this every day. I I like to do it in the mornings. Process with him the things that are disturbing your soul. And let him speak to you in each of those areas. Jesus, I need your perspective. God, how do you see my issue? It's called taking on the mind of Christ. Amen? 
Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. The words of Jesus. Come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God's will is that you be at rest in your mind, in your will, in your emotions. And Jesus himself is telling us how to exchange our worries, anxieties, and bad beliefs for his rest. He says, come to me. I will give you rest. I want to propose to you that one of the ways he does that is when we come to him is he gives us his perspective. He gives us his perspective and we can exchange our anxiety for rest. And then I love the declaration that Jesus spoke over us and you will, when you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. Make it a practice to exchange the negative things going on in your soul for his rest. He's inviting us to do that. The enemies of rest are anxiety, fear, and worry. But Jesus invites us to give those things to him. And in exchange, he gives us rest. Ah, (laughs) rest. And he gives us rest by giving us his perspective. You know what's interesting is God himself, when he created the earth, he rested. And he, he, we know he doesn't have a physical body, so his body didn't need rest. But he showed us how to rest. He demonstrated us how to rest. This isn't about just resting your body. This is about letting your soul be at rest. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, and even God himself. I don't even understand that. But God himself rested. And we know it wasn't a physical body thing. It was a rest. Amen. I want to end with this passage in John chapter 8. So I want to read John chapter 8, verse 44 and 45. This is a good one, yeah. You are of your father, the devil. (laughs) (laughs) This is one you're not going to see in a refrigerator magnet. Read verse 44. It says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a lie and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. So let me give you the context. This is kind of a striking verse. Jesus is with a bunch of Pharisees, and they're seeking to take his life. So I don't, know, I don't know what your reaction would be if I'm surrounded by people that their thoughts and their mind are like, I'm going to find a way to kill this guy. But I probably wouldn't look at all of them and say, your father's the devil. All y'all around here being fathered by the devil right now. 
I always used to look at that scripture too and think, that's, that's pretty harsh, Jesus. Just told all those Pharisees that their father's the devil. So I feel like God gave me a, a good perspective on this. Because if we back up a few, script, a few scriptures to verse 32, we have a famous scripture that we all know. It's John chapter 8, 32. It says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's what we've been talking about all, to, all day today, is exchanging the lies that the enemy's throwing at us for the truth. Stepping into the truth. So he's speaking to this crowd of Pharisees, and he says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And it, also in that chapter, he says this to him. He says, he says I understand that your guys' descendants is, uh, that you're descended from Abraham. He says, I understand that. I get that. You, you have been descended from Abraham. But right now, because you seek to kill me, because you believe lies about me, because you don't see the truth of who I am, you're being fathered by Satan in this area. Satan's your father in this area right now. So anytime that we believe Satan's lies, we are being influenced and we are being fathered by the devil in that area of our life. What did Tina say earlier? Jesus knows how to shoot right to the core. <laughs> What's, what's the context? He says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But because you don't know the truth, because you seek my life, because you're here to kill me, because you don't believe the words I say, your father's the devil right now. Because you believe a lie about me. You don't see who I really am. So any area in, the, in our life where we believe a lie, like in my area of my time, where I would confess I don't have time, it's actually being fathered by the enemy in that area. He's sowing this lie into my life that leads me to believe God's not good and I can never accomplish everything that he has me to do. So I'm actually in that area I was being fathered by the enemy. So any lie that we believe, we're being influenced and we're being fathered by the enemy. In all the areas that we believe truth, we're being influenced and fathered by God. How many want to be fathered by God? <laughs> And we don't want to be fathered by the enemy, amen? We want to be fathered by God. So he wants us to receive his truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you into freedom. Truth equals freedom. Lies of the enemy equals bondage. Bondage. It's the truth that sets us free. God wants us to enter into his rest. But we cannot be at rest in the areas where the devil is influencing us because of lies that we're believing. So God's trying to get rest into us by believing truth. The enemy is trying to cause unrest by believing his lies. Bondage. Would you stand up with me this morning? I want to just pray over you this morning. And then I'll have uh, Pastor Joey come up and close service. But Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're bringing us into a season of learning how to live out of a prosperous soul. To be prosperous in our mind, 
to be prosperous in our will, to be prosperous in our emotions. God, I thank you that you're bringing us into a season of true rest in our souls, that we will find rest, not just a break from labor, but actual peace, real rest. So Lord Jesus, I just speak over the people here today, God. God, I just speak that every area that they've been influenced by lies, God, that you are coming in powerfully this day. That you are coming in, that you are removing lies and bringing in truth. God, I pray that we would use our will to declare truth. To declare your truth, your word over our life, over our, our marriages, over our situations, over our finances. That we begin to agree with you. We begin to partner with you and actually believe that you are our shepherd. We shall not lack for anything. Actually believe Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply all my needs, every need that I have, according to his riches and glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.